We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Defense is happening to a point for a lot. Dropped Zach Brown in the backfield. It's a loss of three on the play. Brissett has not looked Gronkowski's way. Play thing. Brissett. Pump and run. Brissett fumbles the football and it's recovered by Buffalo. Three young quarterback. Take it. And Brissett in trouble on first down. He is brought down. Jerry Hughes is having a tremendous season. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report. I'm Drew Gear, your host. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Dan Fouts and Ian Eagle from CBS Sports with some of the calls for your Sunday's game. I gotta tell you, the air feels crisper, the sun seems a little bit brighter, and food just tastes a little bit better this week as the Buffalo Bills and Rex Ryan won their first non-week 17 game in Gillette Stadium in history. Are you still up on that win, even though it wasn't against Brady? I will take that win to the bank. I don't care. If half the team had Patriots jerseys on, it doesn't matter to me. It's a win. I'll take it. Because you know I tweeted out, you know, this would be a lot different than if Brady was starting. That's because you're an asshole. <laughs> it was a phenomenal afternoon. A good time was had by all. We've got a packed show tonight. You know, We've got Patriots podcaster Christian Simonelli coming on back after last week's appearance. To talk about the New England Patriots, just so I can rub it in a little bit. And also, we've got a preview of the Los Angeles Rams and a lot more to touch on. So we're going to jump right in this week with the Buffalo Bills news update. Now, I know everybody's coming off a high with this Patriots win. But the biggest news of the last week is that Sammy Watkins, who was placed on the IR last week, is getting a second opinion on the status of his foot. If he does indeed need a second surgery, that would effectively end his season. He would have no chance of being brought back from the IR. Remember whose fault that is, right? I t- Doug Whaley's. Depending on who you ask, it could be anybody. Ranging from Doug Whaley to mine to Santa, it doesn't matter. There hasn't been any word yet, but it's absolutely a big storyline for this football team. I mean, if he only needs eight weeks of rest, we could potentially bring him back at the end of the season in time for a playoff run. 
That's if we're in a playoff run. You, if not, sh- you shut your mouth. You <laughs> shut your whore mouth over there. I'm just being a realist. I know. If if we're in the hunt and, you know, week 13 and he's still not back and we're, like, less than 50% to make the playoffs, then just shut it down. See you next season. Well, we'll see where that ends up. But then the other big news of the week, Marcel Darius and Chantrell Henderson are returning from suspension this week. And they're likely going to be worked in under some kind of a rotation, you know, in order to prevent them from getting gassed early. In speaking with WGR 550 on Monday, Rex Ryan claimed that while Marcel might not see, you know, his 40 to 45 snaps that he's accustomed to, he'll probably get 20 to 30 quality ones, you know, because they don't want to rush him back out there because being in shape and being in game shape are two totally different things. He also stated that Marcel Darius's conditioning is on point, shouldn't be an area of concern, which is good news, you know, because the guy, when he's healthy, I mean, he's one of the most disruptive interior defensive linemen in football. I like that he does have a, uh, he's got an easy quarterback in his return, Case Keenum. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. He's not going up against an elite quarterback in his return. I mean, the running game, I mean, that's a whole other story, and we're going to get into that later, but... I'll tell you, he's going to play a big role for this team in his first game back. So I hope he's ready. And then you've got Sean Troll Henderson. He's going to be rotated in as well, but the coaching staff said he's not guaranteed to get his starting job at right tackle back. They're happy with the job that Jordan Mills is doing over there on the right side, and I can't say that I blame him. Now, the question becomes, who goes on this roster to make room for those two players? And you got the, they have to cut two players now on the 53 to make room for these guys to make it back to the roster. Well, it's easy. One of them is Jordan Gay. <laughs> so I've got a list here. You've got Reggie Bush, potential candidate. He has no touches on offense in the last two weeks, and he was inactive altogether against the Patriots. I mean, I, I know Mike Rodax talked about it. Um, some of the other Buffalo media have gotten in on it. I really do think that they thought they would see more from Reggie than they did. And he just doesn't have a place in this offense. And so if he can't be trusted to be a contributor as a a backup to a running back stable, and clearly Mike Gillisley looks good. Yeah, he did good in the Wildcat. We were in the Wildcat. So I honestly don't see place on this roster anymore for Reggie Bush. I'd be shocked if he's still here. The fact that he had no touches and has been inactive, Mm -hmm. that just screams, get back to the left coast. But then who else goes? Now... We just signed an offensive tackle named Michael Ola. I would cut him. See, but he's Henderson played comes for, back. But he's played for our current offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer, before. Cromer had him starting games for him, and Cromer likes his upside from everything that I've read. So that brings us to Colt Anderson. He's a you know he's basically a special teamer. You know he's a special teams ace. That's been his kind of career trajectory in the NFL. But he's been injured since the start of the preseason. He hasn't been effective at what we brought him in to do. So I could see them, since he hasn't played that much, decide that he's not worth keeping around. I mean, on, on the other side of that, what do you have, one of our backup defensive linemen? I just don't see that happening. I think both Jarrell Worthy and Ledger Doosable have played really well. Really well. I mean, on Sunday, Doosable was a wrecking ball. Our whole defense was a wrecking ball. So they, I, I, I know that the brass... Over there at One Bills Drive, they've, they've got some big decisions to make in the next few days over who stays and who goes. Well, don't worry. You and I both know that Doug Whaley is smart as shit, so he'll make the right decisions. <laughs> Doug Whaley, for as much as people want to dog him, he's not as bad as I think people give him credit for. And that 
interestingly enough, brings us to kind of an op-ed stream of consciousness that I have here. If I can take this whole podcast, and I hate to do this to you, but I got to take it in a more serious route because for those of you who don't know, Chris and I go out and we do for the Buffalo, for the Bills Fanatics BF group on Facebook. Every Saturday we go out and we do a Facebook Live. You know, we get on, we talk for about a half hour about whatever the upcoming, you know, whatever the upcoming game the next day is going to look like. We take questions from fans. They're generally pretty well received. So Saturday night, Chris was out of town and I was preparing to do the, do the broadcast. And my intent was to get into it and offer up a preview of the New England Patriots game. And then everything just kind of came off the rails. The, as I was kind of going, you know, that was the day the that Sammy hit the IR. It was either like Friday or Saturday. Over and over again. The more time I spent online trying to prepare for this, whether it was fan forums, websites, Twitter, even Bills-related groups, fan groups on Facebook, the more I read, the angrier I got. Seeing fans who in their Facebook profiles, Twitter profiles, they claim that they're quote-unquote Bills Mafia till I die or that they love their quote-unquote Bills fam. Lobbing insults directly at Sammy Watkins, saying that he's soft, telling him he's a wuss, that he's a bust, talking about how they can't wait until he's not on our roster anymore. Bickering with each other and just seeing more of this nonsense that we've talked about for weeks about how our coaches and GMs should be fired for their mistakes while giving them zero credit for any of their successes. I will, I'll admit it 100% right hand to God. I didn't intend for that Facebook Live to get away from me the way it did, but I snapped. I've had it. I can tell you that stuff like this with what uh, the fans just chastising Whaley for his wrongs and not his rights. People did that with Regeer for the Sabres. Don't forget we traded Chris Gratton for Daniel Breer. That was a Darcy Regeer move. Similar to Hughes for Kelvin Shepard. I guess I have one thing to say to everybody who's listening out there right now. Okay, I want you to take this and I want you to, I just want you to let this sink in for a second. This owner, this coach, this GM, and these players cannot be held responsible for 16 years worth of futility and your suffering. Has that sunk in? Okay, good. Before the Super Bowl era, the era of the early 90s, the Buffalo Bills were the epitome of mediocrity. People, people now don't understand what we used to be. From 1976 to 1987, the team had exactly two winning seasons. Two. That's 11 years of missed opportunity and organizational futility. I believe in 1980... When we beat the Dolphins after going 0 for the 70s, losing 10 years in a row to the Dolphins, I'm pretty sure the fans tore down the goalposts. We, we, all we did was beat Miami in 1980. Well, you're talking about the 80s. Talking to older fans who remember those days, nobody's spirits were particularly high. But the team's fans continued to rally around them. Now, in 1985, the team used it because they were the worst team in football used their number one overall pick to take Bruce Smith in the draft. And then they took Andre Reid at wide receiver. And yet that season they finished 2-14. In 1986, the Bills hired a brand new head coach in the middle of the season. You know, he, had, he had big aspirations of turning the Buffalo Bills franchise around. 
And then their former quarterback holdout, Jim Kelly, decided that he'd come play for Buffalo now that the USFL folded. The team finished 2-5 and five t- to close out that year. They responded by drafting a linebacker named Shane Conlon and a defensive back named Nate Odoms. Anybody remember those names? Do they ring any bells? Does anyone here recognize the trend? In 1987, Levy went 7-9 and, and just barely missed the playoffs. And then that following year, they decided to draft Thurman Thomas, number 40 overall in the second round. The following season, the Buffalo Bills went 12-4, and won the AFC East, and went on to dominate the NFL for the next half of a decade. So we got 85, 86, 87, and then 88. Fourth year, we went 12-4. and There's a lesson in this. It takes drafting, it takes coaching, and it takes patience if you're going to build something great. Whaley, for as much as all of you out there want to malign him, is you know he's hit on a number of draft picks. Yes, he's had some busts, but every every GM does, and he's probably the best scouting GM we've had since the most recent playoff drought started. As the last two games have shown, we might just have a coach that these players will buy in and go to war, just go to war for on a weekly basis. So the only piece of this puzzle that's missing is for us as fans to show them the loyalty that gave birth to the numerous catchphrases that currently exist about the Buffalo Bills fan base. You know, what made us great in the first place. That generation of fans found a way to do it. And I have to believe that we can do it too. I mean, think about it. Scott Norwood will go down in history as one of the biggest goats in Super Bowl history. He missed what is a routine kick wide right in the dying seconds of what ultimately ended up as the best shot for the Buffalo Bills to ever hold the Lombardi Trophy. When the team showed up at City Hall the following week for their welcome home party or parade, whatever you want to call it, he was more than content to hide in the background because he was equal parts ashamed and nervous about how he was going to get received by everyone. He let his teammates down. He let his fans down. He disappointed thousands of people. And yet 30,000 people showed up to chant his name until he came out and gave the crowd a wave. I mean, the guy was crying. To hear him tell it on ESPN's Four Falls of Buffalo, that support reinvigorated him. It motivated him to try to take his game to the next level and to help us get back to a second consecutive Super Bowl the very next season. These players, these coaches, yes, they get paid to play a game or to be involved in a game, or to manage a game. But that doesn't make them robots. They're not some emotionless entity like a video game character that only exists for our viewing pleasure and to pad the stats on a fantasy football team somewhere. They're people. They're just like you and me. And in times like this, regardless of the stat line, a guy like Sammy Watkins needs our support rather than insults being lobbed at him left and right on social media. I mean, it's, we're, we're fans, right? You're a fan of this team. Why are you trying to tear someone who's supposed to be on your team down instead of trying to build them up? With the Scott Norwood field goal, I could only imagine what life would be like then if Twitter was around. Oh, I'm sure he would have been lambasted. The guy would have wanted to crawl into a hole and die. I'm sure he did. There would have been a penis. I'm sure he felt that way. There would have been a penis on his lawn. <sighs> I mean, I get it, guys. As Bills fans, we're all tired of waiting. We're sick and tired of being you know, the butt of jokes. You got analysts on TV who will crack jokes about it. We're sick of not having meaningful football games come the end of the season. 
We're sick of a team that gets our hopes up every year and sells us hope, but can't ever just seem to reach out and grasp that greatness when it feels like we're getting close to it. But at what point did we lose our identity as the group that's stuck by our players and stuck by each other as fans? You know, circled the wagons. What happened to the idea that when it was too cold outside, when you were down huge in a, in a, in a wild card playoff game, and the odds seemed just too stacked against you, that we'd dig deep and give them hell regardless? That's who we are, right? Buffalo, New York, the city of good neighbors. We're a tough blue-collar town that embraces its role as an underdog, both in sports and in life. We're supposed to rally around each other. I'll tell you, that's why I left Atlanta and came back here, because I have a blue-collar personality, and Atlanta's a corporate market, and I always felt my personality did not fit in Atlanta, and I'd always wanted to move back. I've been saying that since I was 10 years old, that I wanted to move back to Buffalo, and I did it. Because I'm telling you, I the bandwagon... Okay, I know this is cliched, but if you guys want off the bandwagon, you, no one's going to beg you to stay. Okay, we hope you do. Okay, and if and if you do, I'll take back some of the things I said on Saturday night. If you do want off the bandwagon, if and when the Bills are good again, we'd still welcome you back with open arms because that's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be as a fan base. You know, I mean, when it's when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us, right? The shiny new stadiums out there with $95 parking, save those for the rich kids out in Dallas and L.A. I'd gladly take our you know, five-degree days outside in the snow, tailgating in someone's backyard around a fire. Your pretty boy quarterbacks and your diva-wide receivers, I'll take 53 players like Fred Jackson, Kyle Williams, and Eric Wood over every single one of them. That's what I think about when I think about the Buffalo Bills. And that's why I consider myself lucky to say that I'm a fan of this football team because they're like me. I can't make you guys share my point of view and I can't make you stay and I can't make you stop giving everyone out there flack, whether it's the coaching staff, the players directly to their faces or to their Twitter accounts as it might be. I just hope you give it some thought, you know, because I'm damn proud to say that I'm a fan of the Buffalo Bills. And now, guys, to help walk us through uh, Sunday, you know, Sunday's game and just help us walk. Christian Simonelli, New England Patriots fan extraordinaire, on with us tonight. Christian, how you doing? I'm all right, three and one, but I'm uh, not as good as you guys are doing right now. Obviously, after last week. No, oh. thanks for coming on, so we can rub this in your face. Hey, hey, hey! hey. We're, I could do. We're gonna keep it civil over here. All right, that's what we do. So. <laughs> One of the biggest things I wanted to go over with you is this. Patriots local reaction. Now, I've got a cousin who lives in Massachusetts. She was at the game on Sunday. She was texting me telling me that the stadium was so quiet in the third quarter that she could hear Tyrod Taylor making line calls from the stands. I mean, what happened? Well, um, you know... Around here, it's a, it's a pretty football savvy crowd, and I think they they got a, a pretty good feel early on that that uh, this was going to go the Bills' way pretty much for most of the day. And you know, typically when the Patriots come out and you know they either get their head handed to them early on, which which is what happened in this game, or if they just come out flat. I don't think they came out flat. I just think the Bills took it to them. Um, the 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 fan base picks up on that pretty quick, and you know that first play with Edelman. Um, if that scored or if that, you know, ended up holding up and he was down with the one and then mm-hmm. the team goes in, 
different ball game. Oh, this whole um, game could be different if that yeah, play goes it could, the right it could way. be. And and I think you know you just got a funny feeling. And you know, I was sitting there watching the game, and uh, you know, with my girl, and she said, I, I, "What do you think today?" And I said, "Going to be a tough game." I said, mm-hmm. I, "I actually picked the Bills to win." I said that was before I knew Jimmy G wasn't mm-hmm. starting. So. Yeah, what did I, I say just, last week? Thirty to fourteen, New England. You did, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I don't. Wrong. And that's why I don't listen to you, Chris, when you talk about your picks, because I think you're over. You should have asked because Drew Drew uh, brought over a pizza, as we usually have pizza and beer when we do this. I'm surprised you didn't see if you could get a side of crow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he's he's hamming it up over here, guys. But so sure. the t- the TV broadcast showed fans just kind of streaming out of the stadium midway through the third quarter. I mean, that, yeah. they were making a big deal about that. But like you said, Patriots fans are probably thinking to themselves, eh, we got three. <laughs> we got three, so we lost one. It means more to them than it does to us. I mean, what are they saying in the local media? Is anyone concerned or are you guys all pretty much just nonplussed about it? Yeah, what's the story from uh, PFW in progress? Um, that they're three and one and that – this was more of a more indicative of a, a, a third string rookie quarterback that you really pretty much you know you got away with one against Houston. Houston just didn't show up, and mm-hmm. I think the kid looked a lot better than he actually was in this game when he faced a a good defensive coach and a very good defensive team. Look what happened. Uh, they took it to him, and what did I say to you guys last week? imperative that the Bills get out to a lead, no matter how big that they get out to a lead. Halftime, it was 13 to zip. Game, set, match at that point. You know, the kid wasn't coming back. You're 100% right, because they knew he couldn't throw his way out of a hole. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Rex, I think, and I know that New England, (laughs) I feel like New Englanders might dislike Rex Ryan more than they dislike the Buffalo Bills. Is that fair for me to say that? Um, yeah, because it just stems all the way back really to even when he was with Baltimore, um, you know, he would talk smack against, against them. And then, and then with the jets, obviously it just, it just went, you know, over the, over the top with, you know, not here to kiss the rings and, you know, uh, you know, he's going to get our best effort and, you know, no one's going to play him tougher than, than, than I will, that we will. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a genuine, there's a genuine hate for Rex. That's, uh, that's that, that goes beyond just the Buffalo Bills organization. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of hate here locally and nationally towards Rex Ryan. You know, people talking about how he needs to be fired because we came out kind of flat this season. You know, we, we go down 0-2. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants his head on a stick. Well, I think he's done a lot in the past two weeks to show that when, when you put him to task, but you give him the – the players will rally around him. And I think nobody hit it on the head better than Deion Sanders from NFL Network. Chris, why don't you play that? The same passion that all these folks that we know, we ain't calling no names, <laughs> that wanted to get Rex Ryan terminated. Yeah. Can they retract this stuff? Because we can never find a player who disagree or dislike Rex Ryan right. or Dennis Thurman or that entire coaching staff. It's some coaches that came in the same time frame Rex Ryan did, and they're doing much worse. Rex Ryan can coach. He can coach at a high level. Rex Ryan knew he was going to win. Many of us knew he was going to win. Let's give Rex some love. His offense looked totally different. The guys are playing with more energy, and it seems like every time his back is up against the wall, Rex comes out swinging. Now, that audio comes from NFL.com. I mean, 
Christian, even even as a guy who dislikes Rex, can you argue with any of that? You know, you really can't. I mean, it goes all the way back to, to when he's with the Jets. The players love him. You know, the players love him. Richie Incognito was on the herd, uh, you know, in the summer towards the end of August. You know, and, 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 and you know, he, he pretty much came out and flat out and said it. You know, we love Rex. You know, we, we love the guy. We lo- You know, we love him as a football coach, you know, because I heard try to go the whole buffoon route and rah, rah, rah. And, but the players do love him. You know, my problem has never been that he's not a good uh, – uh, not a good defensive coach that he's not a good motivator it's that i've always felt that he's just focused on that one side of the ball that he sort of just leaves the offense to to just do their thing and the special teams to do their thing and i think the role of a coach you know obviously i'm spoiled but is to is to have input and to have uh you know uh you know involvement in all three phases and but you know, he did get killed for firing the offensive coordinator. What happened? They won two games in a row. They won two games in a row, and their offense has put up more points in these two games yep. than, I mean, maybe not so much in the Jets game, but the Jets game, it was more. We had some defensive touchdowns, right? Taking advantage. No, not in the Jets. In the Jets game, it was us just taking advantage of the deep ball. Because outside of that, we didn't have anything on offense. Yeah, you had Goodwin. Yeah, that, that big bomb over Revis. That's right. So yep. now we're pretty much just. It's almost like we've got a new lease on life. They look like a completely different football team. But that's what you get from Rex Ryan when you, like he was saying, when you back him into a corner and you make him coach his best, his best coaching job, especially when he's got the personnel to pull it off on defense, it's a scary thing. It you know, is because he's a great defensive coach. I do. I really, in my heart, I really believe that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen what he's done, you know, against, uh, you know, Tom Brady, you know, the year that he, you know, went on the road and beat Peyton Manning and beat Tom Brady, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He had the personnel and he had the ge- great game plans. He had the great game plan in the 2010 um, uh, divisional game uh, mm-hmm. at Gillette. Great game plan. Oh, absolutely. And so as we do every week, that brings us to our week four recap, Bills versus Patriots. Now, we know they won, but I want to talk about how they did it. First and foremost, the Bills played with physicality and poise. I mean, the biggest thing that stood out to me about our performance on Sunday, I I mean, you you look at the game that we played against the Patriots, and you look at the game the Patriots played against the Houston Texans. Okay, the Houston Texans, like you were just saying, they didn't show up. Okay, they 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 just almost it's almost like they were sleepwalking through most of the game, and then late they tried to bring it back, but it was too late. From the onset of that game, we were physical with you guys. I mean, we were the ones doing the hitting instead of you guys being the punishers. Yeah, I mean, it actually started in pregame warm-ups. <laughs> oh, that, that whole fiasco was awesome. I saw it. I saw it come up on the TV, and I just – I was dumbfounded. I'm like, who are these guys? The Buffalo Bills I know are – you know, they don't have that kind of fire to them. That's Rex Ryan. Yeah, that's they're Rex off, Ryan. They're feeding yeah. off their coach. And I don't want – for all the people who speculated, oh, Rex Ryan told them to do it and then it was all a big setup. I just think that that's what you get when you take a bunch of athletes and you put them around a guy like Rex. They feed off that. They feed off that bravado. And in turn, it makes them a little bit – you know, it makes them puff up a little bit. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, uh, you know, a long time ago um, – you know, I read – I forget what book I was reading. I think it was a Bill Parcells book and, and uh, you know, it, it was somewhere in the, in, in the book where he said emotion wins football games. 
And fundamentally, that's true. You know, you come out, and at the end of the day, obviously, it's the talent, you know, that wins, that that's on the field. But, you know, you come out early, and you set that tone. And that's not, you know, that that people say, oh, that's a high school thing, that's a college thing. No, that's a football thing. Well, and, and that's one of the biggest differences I saw is that whereas Houston allowed you guys to just wear them down. I mean, you guys just beat them to death with, with LeGarrette Blunt. You just ran LeGarrette Blunt down your throat and he hammered him into submission. Yep. It was the Bills' defensive line, defensive backs, and their linebackers dishing out the big hits on Sunday. Yeah, you could see it early on. Um, you know, you could certainly see it early on where LeGarrette was getting the ball and he was getting met right at the line or behind the line. Um, yep. You know, they were pushing through, particularly, you know, against uh, Senator David Andrews. You know, they were getting some pretty good penetration there. And early on, they let it be known. You're not running the ball today. Well, Andrews was a guy, too. You guys got rid of Brian Stork. Now, Andrews was the heir apparent to the job. He looked good. Now, after this last game, I mean, I think he got – I watched more than a couple times when I was rewatching the footage. He got worked on a lot of those running plays. He did, and he actually got worked last year uh, at the game at Gillette. And at halftime, they took him out and they put in Stork because he was getting whooped. Really? Um, yeah, he he uh, he was getting whooped by Darius in that game, and uh, you know you recall that day it was a Monday night game mm-hmm. I think that the mm-hmm. Patriots the Patriots ended up winning, but I mean it was a rarity. You know that was another game that that Rex came up with a pretty good game plan, and the Patriots just squeaked that one out. Um, but yeah, he did get removed. So David Andrews is a very, you know, he seems like he's a pretty streaky player, um, and uh, you know this certainly wasn't one of his better games. But he's the guy. I mean there aren't, you know, you got. Uh, aside from him at center, uh, you know, you have um, uh, 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 Karras would be the other center, mm-hmm. and he's a rookie. So yeah. not a whole lot of depth. No. And I'll be honest, I think the turning point to this entire game, and it's why I made it the very first point that I was going to talk about, was that I, the physicality of the Buffalo Bills. I mean, there was a couple hits where I was shocked that there wasn't a flag thrown. Hard hits on the sidelines. I mean, every time your guys were going for – you know, oh, I'm going to step out of bounds. Someone was there to just lay wood on him. Yeah, and a little extra nudge just yep. to, let, to let you know you're there. You know, there were a couple of plays where Percet. I was like, hmm, surprised I didn't throw the flag there. You know, he was out of bounds, but they let him hit, and there was one where he got whacked. Well, I'm telling um, you, there was one. There, there was back-to-back-to-back series where Brissett, Bennett, and Bolden were all either trying to drag themselves up onto their feet or were jogging off the field, apparently shaken up after big hits by our linebackers and safeties. I yeah, mean, like the one you're probably talking about. There's a play early in the third quarter. Lorenzo Alexander, Brissett's coming up, and he doesn't do the typical quarterback slide. He kind of turns his body. Brissett, Lorenzo Alexander damn near killed Brissett. Oh, God, yeah. He almost yeah. took his head off. And I honestly believe that if the Patriots offensive lineman didn't come pick up Brissett, he probably would have laid there for a minute or two. I thought he was concussed. <laughs> I'm telling you, that hit was yeah. brutal. And I mean, you got that. And then on the only trip to the red zone that you guys got, Brissett was nearly killed by Zach Brown. I mean, this is what Zach Brown had to say post game about the hit and the forced fumble. I was actually in his own coverage. And uh, I think I was in his own coverage. I don't know. But he was a quarterback. I'm like, you know, he's running. I'm like, oh, he really is going to run the ball. So I was like, okay, I'm about to try to decapitate him because <laughs> he's a quarterback. So, you know, I think he learned his lesson because the next time he slide. So, so um, the, the question, the thing is, he, the, 
quarterback's the worst ball handler on the field. So you got to hit him. You hit him hard, the ball should come out 80% of the time. That audio comes from buffalobills.com. I mean, you hear it. They were looking to maim. <laughs> you were oh, looking yeah. to maim you guys on Sunday. Yeah, uh, and, and Zach Brown did a, a wonderful impression of, uh, of, of Ray Lewis Sunday because not only did he crack Brissett and, and, uh, and uh, backs multiple occasions, but I, was, uh, I, had, I blinked twice and then had to rewind the tape to see him actually run down Julian Edelman. Right? And tackle Julian Edelman. He he's the one who brought Julian Edelman down in that ninety whatever yard run, eighty yard run. No, there, there was another replay where there was a they they did like a, a it was almost like a reverse, mm-hmm. and he literally ran in a straight line with Edelman and tri- and, tri- and took him right down. It was it was a play towards the Bills sideline. Wow, and took him right down, and I go, what, what? That was a linebacker that just caught him. Couldn't believe it. I mean, couldn't I'll- believe it. He played a great game, Zach Brown. Well, and that's true because, I mean, you look at what Edelman got. Edelman got nothing. He had one catch for 16 yards. We held Blunt to 54 yards rushing, and he was, like you said, he was always met at the line, first contact, dropped him. You also left out here that uh, Chris Hogan also held Edelman to an 84-yard catch. (laughs) That hold was was pretty bad. And Christian, I watched it at the uh, Bills Backers of Atlanta, and everybody in the bar was like, oh, that's holding. The whole bar collectively, oh, holding. And they, they didn't worry about it at all. I mean, I think one of the biggest parts of the entire, one of the biggest things that stood out to me was the fact that they got six quarterback hits, three sacks, but the whole day, even if they weren't getting the sack, Brissett never, never had a clean pocket to operate from. I mean, they wreaked havoc on that no. defensive line. Yeah, they were in his face all day, pretty much from, from Jump Street. Um, and now, yeah, that play, there were actually two, uh, penalties on that Edelman play. There was a holding, and then there was also pass interference mm-hmm. on the offense. So <laughs> that play was coming back one way or another. But um, you know, don't forget, our offense is built on yards after the catch. Oh, one hundred percent. That's why I was and, shocked that that play even happened because I would have expected Rex to have these guys ready for that short. You know, they're going to put it in Edelman's hands and let him turn into a rocket. Yep. And you got to be ready for that. And clearly, we weren't. But after that, we kind of locked it down. Oh yeah. And then on the flip side, the offensive line pretty much just, I, I mean, you guys have a very talented defensive front. You do. Valentine's a good player. He's a guy I, I'm real high on. Jabal Sheard, you've got Chris Long. You've got Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower. Your front seven is loaded with talent. And our offensive line spent a lot of the day just imposing their will on you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it, the offensive line, uh, the, our defensive line overall um, for the season has been okay, and I think the game plan going in here uh, for for the Patriots, right or wrong, was really to contain um, Tyrod, and you know, in other words, to keep him from scrambling, which they did. And I said, you know, and I think that they felt the same way that in order for for the Buffalo to win, Tyrod had to be patient and he had to execute in the passing game, and he did. He well, took what was there, and, I'll and t- he played a very good game. No, he didn't. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. That was a, that's another thing on my checklist here, things I want to talk to you about. What, I don't think I've ever seen a Patriots team come out with a worse game plan. Yep. The Patriots linebackers were playing a lot of man coverage instead of playing zone. Why? Don't know the answer to that. I mean, um, that, that's what led to a lot of Tyrod's drive-extending first-down passes. First down passes. 
on first down, you know, they would drop back and pass, and your linebackers would try to find a running back and, like, just lock onto him. And so then he's finding guys like Charles Clay. He's finding Robert Woods for these first downs because there's no pressure coming. And at the same time, your guys aren't there in the middle of the field to stop him. Yeah, and there were big cushions on the outside as well. Um, how many times did Logan Ryan get thrown to where, you know, uh, you know, Robert Woods or someone else was at the sticks and, you know, Logan Ryan would be five yards behind him. Um, there were some pretty big open and open spots there. And it seemed like the Bills knew when they could attack in zone and they knew when they could attack in man. And they did. They well, had success. Well, I'll tell you one of the keys I saw. If I'm a defensive coordinator and I was watching what I saw watching the L-22 footage of this Patriots game. For some reason, you guys, Patricia, your your defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, kept lining up Donta Hightower, who's fresh off of a lower body injury, right? So he's probably not the most limber guy in the world. He's probably not going to have the quickest first step. Routinely putting Donta Hightower in man coverage on LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, that I didn't understand at all. Um, You know, typically uh, when the Patriots have ever faced a versatile back like a McCoy, you know, the Super Bowl um, uh, and, and 2004 comes to mind when they played Brian Westbrook and the Eagles. You know, they had guys like Teddy Bruschi and Mike Vrabel that weren't the most, uh, most athletic guys, but they were smart. And what they did with Westbrook was they, they pretty much would bracket him, almost like you would bracket a wide receiver, to limit him in the running game and in the pass, passing game out of the backfield, which is what I thought they would do in this game. And, um, I mean, to single out for Hightower, I mean, there was a play where McCoy hit the hole and Hightower just went left and he went right and it wasn't even like – it was embarrassing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I said Shady McCoy. That's who you had to bottle up. You know, when I talked to you guys last week, I go, you got to, you got to, you know, cut on a dime 25, mm-hmm. got to bottle him up, and they didn't. Well, and then on the offensive side of the ball, your whole offensive line was flagged by the end of the game. <laughs> Every single member of your offensive line. I I honestly felt like I was watching a Bills game in reverse. Like it was Bizarro World and I was sitting on the other sideline. And it's like, how is this every time I'd see I'd see a play for positive yardage and I'd see the, the yellow come out. And I'm like, Oh, that has to be on us. It has to be on us. And then it wasn't, and they would be backing you guys up. I'm like, is this happening? Yeah, you weren't the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we, you know, we uh, looking at it and watching the game, and they're like, okay, you know, you know, Solder, and then Tooney, and then Andrews, and then okay, oh, 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 finally, okay, oh, oh, there he is, there's Cannon, finally, oh, he has his, but yeah, everybody across the board, just a bad day all the way, all the way around. Yeah, I was afraid to, I was afraid to ask you about Marcus Cannon. I didn't want to set you off again. (laughs) Too late. So, so how, how loud did you yell at the TV when Marcus Cannon? I just said, at this point, I just shake my head. I was going to say, are you a yeller? Are you a, are, or are you more of like the quiet, angry? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a quiet, angry guy. It takes a lot for me to yell, even when there's a bad call by a ref, whenever that could be, mm-hmm. um, at whatever play. But I'm pretty much a quiet, like, even when I cheer, you know, like I, I just, I'm, I'm very reserved. You know, I used to go out of my mind when I was younger, and it's like I've learned early on that – well, actually late, but early on in the season – I've learned late, but early on in the season, try not to get too <laughs> yeah. emotionally involved in these games Yeah. because four weeks from now when we play you guys, you know, who knows what the oh, record will be. Oh, God. I don't even want to think about that yet. Listen, let me uh, let me enjoy this while I have it, man. You, you have every <laughs> right to. Every so, right to. 
So I wish I could take a page out of your book because I'm two for two now in falling down the stairs at the Bills games. Um, I've suffered multiple bruises, a sore back. I mean, I'm invisible. And I don't bruise easily. I don't know if it's part of being like that Sicilian-ish, Puerto Rican-ish <laughs> mix that I am. I don't yep. bruise it. Like, I don't visibly bruise very easily. But I was, I tell you, I've been lumped up the last two Bills home games. Just just going too hard and down the stairs. Just concrete. The usher loves us. We've had the same seasons for years. But he's just like, dude, you got to stay on your feet. You're going to die up here. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'll die doing what I love then, I guess. Take it easy. You got a long way to go. <laughs> and so that brings me to the, the last key to our, the Bills' victory. The offensive variety. This is something that jumped off the tape to me when I rewatched the game. Now, beforehand, LaShawn McCoy told all the media that they were going to see some things that they'd never seen before from the Buffalo Bills offense. And they were able to go out and generate a total of 380 yards and a touchdown, which is their highest total of the season. And their methods were anything anything but conventional, given who we are as a football team. I mean, they busted out the Wildcat offense. The Wildcat. <laughs> Who's the last team to beat you guys with the Wildcat? Miami Dolphins, 2008. They absolutely destroyed us at Gillette Stadium. I know because I was there. Oh, that had to be terrible to sit through. Right? Ronnie awesome. Brown? Ronnie Brown. War um, Eagle. God, I hate you. Oh, man. And um, also that day, uh, that I believe that was um, Long's Jake Long's rookie year. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely owned owned Richard Seymour that day. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember that pretty vividly. I mean, on the very opening, the opening drive of the game, we ran the Wildcat twice for 18 yards. A 16-yard run from Mike Gillesley <laughs> coming on second and long. Second long yep. after a penalty. And we get a 16-yard first down run out of the Wildcat. You could just tell that it wasn't, you know, you Patriots fans remember it, but you could tell the players were not prepared. No, they weren't, and it took and it took a couple of drives for them to get their legs under them. Um, you know, you didn't see a gain like that out of that formation the rest of the day. But you know, I think Rex and his staff know that when you play the Patriots, you really got to empty your kitchen sink on both sides of the ball. And I just think that that's what they did on offense. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, they threw new yeah. route combinations, and they totally yeah. confused the Pats secondary early on in that game. On the touchdown drive to start the game, it's third and seven. I'm telling you, it was one of the best route combinations I've seen from the Buffalo Bills all season. Woods is in the Robert Woods is in the slot. Marquise Goodwin's on the outside. At the snap, they cross their routes, and then they both head straight forward. So now all of a sudden, Robert Woods is on the outside, and Marquise Goodwin is in the slot. The cornerback who was supposed to follow, you know, if you, if you knew the switch was coming, you would have stayed just in your lane, right? If you're yep. thinking about the if you're thinking about the field laterally, you would have just stayed in your lane, and the cornerback who had been covering Marquise Goodwin would have stayed with Marquise Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Instead, they didn't switch properly. The cornerback that had Marquise Goodwin stayed with him. The safety didn't know what to do, and because he hesitated, Robert Woods had a free go at the first down marker, cut in, and just turned around and found the ball in his breadbasket. Yep, easy first down. Yep, I open. haven't seen that kind of route combination from an offensive coordinator from the Bills in years. It blew my mind. Well, and that's, you know, that's a good sign. And I think that that's even, it's, it's an even better sign perhaps for, for Taylor's development. 
you know, maybe they were holding off on doing that type of stuff because he was, you know, you know, you know, in his infancy in the in the offense. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully Rex now is telling is telling, you know, the offensive coordinator, hey, let it loose, man. You know, man, let it let him loose. And, and, you know, let's let this offense loose. And let me, and maybe slowly, hopefully for you guys, they start to introduce this stuff more and more throughout the season. And post game, Anthony Lynn spoke about tempo to buffalobills.com. You know, over a course of a game, tempo can make a big difference. You know, if you're going three and out, it doesn't matter. But I thought, you know, we knew going into the game last week, we had to wear that team down. That's the fastest football team I've seen in the last 10 years. And so we had to tempo them a little bit. We had to stay on the field. We had to run more plays. And we did. So I think he knew that they were going to have to try to outpace you guys and not let you get comfortable on offense. And I like hearing that from my offensive coordinator because Greg Roman never said anything like that. Greg Roman was very much just, I have a, I have a plan and you just got to trust me with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that should be very refreshing for you guys. Now, um, I've got to ask you, what are some of the positive takeaways from this game, if there's any, for a Patriots fan out there who might be listening to this now, who you, know, you say, listen, yeah, it, it rained crap all over us on Sunday, but... What are the silver? What's the silver lining from this for you guys? Um, it was the fourth game, and Brady's coming back in the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think you could look at. You know, there's certainly far and few between. I think Martellus Bennett continues to impress in a day where the offense did absolutely nothing, where the offensive line looked like crap, where the quarterback looked very lost at times. Um, this was a guy that that continued to produce and really has, has produced since the very first game, whether it was being a blocker or going out and catching passes and the next game for a hundred yards against the dolphins to, you know, becoming a blocker again. And then in this game, you know, uh, showed a lot of versatility has continued to, to look pretty impressive when he gets the ball in his hands. So I think that's the one big positive that you can take away the defense. Um, just showed absolutely nothing, so I really don't have anything for that side of the ball at all. I just think that the defense, um, they would just, they would just had it, got it taken to them early and often, and you know they just didn't have a good day. It's going to be interesting when Brady returns to see what kind of chemistry he's got with Bennett, with the way Gronk has been inactive. Yeah, um, they 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 looked pretty good in training camp, um, you know, in the practices that that they had and. One that I went down there, they 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 looked like they were they were feeding off each other pretty good. Um, looked like it was going you know pretty well, similar to the year before, um, you know you know with with Chandler. Although you know you guys know Scott Chandler better than anybody else. As soon as, the, <laughs> as, soon as it turned game time, Chandler went you know yeah uh, kind of it just disappeared. But um, so I think he'll be okay. Um, you know I hope that. I hope that uh, we're having an issue of, gee, you know, certain guys just aren't getting enough balls thrown to them and, and uh, Gronk and, and Bennett. That'll be a good thing. So no, we'll see getting, what happens. I think getting Tom Brady back is going to – I think it's going to be night and day. And the thing I'm most afraid of is is I told everyone who knows me, and I talk about these things, I, I envy but I hate the Patriots. I envy you guys because you guys just seem to have it all. You've got the diabolical mastermind coach. You've got, it's almost like watching the movie Star Wars. You know, you've got Tom Brady, who's Darth Vader. You've got Bill Belichick, who's the emperor. 
You just guys and you guys just go out and destroy people. You absolutely do. and it's it's calculated and it's cold and you guys don't give a damn how many people you crush. <laughs> You've just broken in your wake. I'm terrified of a world in which the Patriots come back and just start steamrolling people because it happened to the year. The last time the NFL tried to discipline the new England Patriots, didn't that blow up in everyone's face? Uh, yeah. You know, I love the star Wars analogy there cause I'm a huge star Wars fan. So right on, <laughs> certainly, certainly agree with the Vader, uh, uh, you know, emperor, uh, comparison, but yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a, that 2007 season was a great season up until about a minute and 25 seconds left in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it was a great ride. So um, we're going to see what you guys bring to the table. It'll be interesting to see what you, you guys and Tom Brady can do. I have a feeling you're not going to struggle beating the Browns this week. I don't think so. Um, I think it's going to be a, 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 you ten, know, a, a ten pretty, and a half pretty point favorite. easy win. Yeah, I think it'll be a pretty lopsided. Are you guys in Gillette or are you on the road? No, on, on the, the road. road. On the road. On the huh? road because one of my favorite comedic podcasts, Tuesdays with oh, Stories, boy. Joe List, who's from Boston, is actually performing at Hilarities this weekend in Cleveland. And this week on the podcast, he was all excited that he's going to be in Cleveland to perform at Hilarities, and he's going to be able to go to the game and watch a Brady's return. Well, nice weekend. Yeah, right? That's a solid weekend because the Browns are going to get stomped. And that brings us yep. to this week's Hero and Zero of the Week. Now, I had to give my Hero of the Week award to Zach Brown. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Multiple times on Sunday, people asked me who the hell number 53 was. I was getting text messages. I was getting asked by people in the room with me. My friend Travis looks at me and goes, who, who, who is that guy? You know, it was, he was the guy who when free agency started, I knew we didn't have a lot of money to spend. And I was, I was screaming for us to sign Zach Brown. And when we did, and then we drafted Reggie Raglan, everyone assumed that, oh, hey, you know, he, he's going to be our starter and Zach Brown's nothing but a backup. Well, I'll tell you, he's, he's playing like I thought he could play in this defense ever since we signed him. And the thing that pretty much sums it all up is this. A guy that I work with looked at Brown's stat line from Sunday. 18 tackles, one sack, two forced fumbles. And he tells me that it looks like he's having an okay start to the season. He didn't realize that was just from one game. He had no idea. His play, Zach Brown, his play has been fantastic. And he's a huge part of this defensive turnaround that we've seen over the last few weeks. He plays with an edge. Okay, He's a Rex Ryan guy. You know, he's a perfect Rex Ryan player. He feeds off that bravado. And just listen to him talk about the way he felt about the pregame fight tells you everything you need to know. Oh, yeah, when I came out, they told me about it, and I was sitting there like, man, y'all didn't invite me to the party? Well, I could have came and got me. I was ready for him. I don't like them. Respect was left at the on the bus when it come out to them. So once that, that, that had me going. I said, oh, DB's already got me fired up. They just don't even know it yet. So for then, I was like, I got I to gotta hit him at least once, twice. Because I, I got to get him back for my DBs. As Zach Brown, post game. I've been saying this on the podcast, you know, looking at the Rex Ryan defenses from prior with Baltimore and New York in our previous shows. He's always had great linebackers. And Zach Brown has played great. And now it shows what our defense is doing. Yeah. Um, you, you know, 
sounds like a little bit like Bart Scott there in that clip. Right? That's what I thought. The first thing yeah. that popped in my head was I'm like, he sounds like a cross between Bart Scott and Ray Lewis. Yep. Except and, he didn't and, kill anyone. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not no yet. The season's coming. not over. <laughs> yeah. He And Rex has. Rex, you know, you go all the way back, like I said, to Baltimore. And then obviously with, with the Jets, he's always had linebackers that, you know, could play his scheme, that could play very well. You know, David Harris, Calvin Pace, Bart Scott. Know, they had some very good plays with him. So um, Zach Brown, hey, he impressed the heck out of me. And I can tell you that's all the PFW guys were talking about around here. And locally on the radio, everybody was saying, who the hell's 53 and why couldn't we block him? Because he was just an absolute beast. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I've known it since he was in college. I watched him play at North Carolina. The guy was an animal. And so when we didn't draft him, I was like, okay, well, hopefully we have something here, linebacker with Preston Brown. Right now, both of our both of our linebackers, Zach Brown is leading the NFL in tackles right now, and at the same time, both of our tack our inside linebackers, Preston Brown and Zach Brown, are rated by Pro Football Focus as top ten linebackers in the NFL. It just goes to show you because he came from Tennessee, what it means to play in a system that fits your skill set. Oh, absolutely, scheme fit means everything. It sure does. Um... We've seen that time and time again here again in New England, where they take guys from other teams. You know, you know certainly uh, in 2014, you know the Patriots got um, Robert Ayers from the Tennessee Titans, and you know that guy played great for us. So yeah, all right. And then, unfortunately, you know when when you win 16 to nothing, it's hard to figure out who, you know somebody to put as your zero of the week. It's hard to find a goat for the week. But I had to give it to the entire left side of our offensive line. You blew it! <laughs> now, now, the fact that Glenn, Incognito, and Woods, they played decent games, but it, they were all flagged at some point during the game for holding. Incognito got flagged twice, and his actually took first downs both times off of the board. We got, a late, we, we got away with some stuff last week. You know what I mean? We we had a big we had a lead. We defended it well. We ran the ball with authority. We did all these nice things. Same thing against the Cardinals, and that's all well and good. But these holding calls against you know these, these are the guys who are supposed to be the cornerstones of our offensive line. I can't have you breaking the rules and taking first downs away from our team, especially knowing that we're going into a game against one of the best defensive lines in football right now. Yeah, I mean, they simply have to clean that up. I mean, there's no other way around it. Um, obviously, like you said, you won 16 to zip, so in the end of the day, it didn't end up hurting you. You know, in the game, obviously, it did with, with you know, like you said, limiting you and taking out two first downs, but, you know, if this was a typical Patriot-Bills game where, you know, uh, you know, it was a one-possession game Thank you. late, Late, late in the late in the third quarter, then it's a different story. That's what I'm saying. Like in in yeah. games that are close and games that matter, you can't get sloppy like that. So oh. hopefully that's something that they clean up in the coming weeks. Yeah, hopefully we'll see that at the end of the month for round two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. It's a quick turnaround here. Yeah. It's, and, uh, and now before Chris, Christian, before we let you go, I want to play this just in case any one of our fans out there hasn't heard it yet. This is Ben Affleck being told in the middle of an interview with Sports Illustrated's Extra Mustard segment about the Buffalo Bills New England Patriots game. You have the scores of the football games on that thing, by any chance? I do, and I don't know 
know if you want me to tell you what it is. Uh oh. Do you? Well, yes, I do want you to tell me. Buffalo's okay, winning. Buffalo's winning sixteen nothing. Buffalo's winning sixteen nothing. Yeah. You're kidding me. No, I'm sorry. In the third quarter. Fourth. In the fourth. Yeah. Okay, Rex wait, Ryan. So <laughs> that was great. <laughs> now, and then not to be outdone, the Bills' official Twitter account sent a tweet to both SI and Ben asking, how do you like them apples? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, <laughs> Christian, I'm sure that you're, you, know, you guys and the New England Patriots, your fortunes are going to change come next week. I'm almost certain of it, and I'm hoping, because, I'm hoping they will because I did the one thing I said I'd never do. I drafted Tom Brady in two different fantasy football leagues. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm banking on a big comeback. Well, I'm with you. I did as well. <laughs> Christian, you're always a good sport. We appreciate you coming on and talking with us about all this. Where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me at Chris with a T-I-A-N, my moniker that the guys over at PFW and Progress gave me. So... And guys, PFW in progress. I know as Bills fans, most of you guys uh, probably don't want to listen to Patriots news, but I'll tell you, it's eye-opening. You go listen to it. You know, you you get to – it's one of those things you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Nothing makes me happier. Between listening to the PFW in progress podcast and their show and going on to PatsPulpit.com, their SB Nation affiliate, I love it. I'm I'm there every week. Because I want to know what's going on in Patriot land because, to me, they're the enemy. <laughs> so I want to know everything that's going on with them. Well said. Yeah, the guys over there, uh, led by Fred Kirsch, Andy Hop, Paul Perola, Eric Scalavino, and uh, Kevin Collins, who produces it. Even in the offseason, guys, when you're you know, crying for football and you want to talk football, they, they do it all. So it's a great show. Christian, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to uh, speaking with you again soon. And now that we already know how the Bills and the Patriots made out this weekend, let's take a look at the, uh, the other teams in the AFC East in this week's AFC's roundup. The now 1-3 Dolphins put up one of the worst offensive performances in the team's history on Thursday Night Football in their 22-7 loss to the Bengals, where after an 80-yard touchdown pass in the first quarter, they only managed another 30 yards of offense up until the midpoint of the third quarter. Ouch. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Adam Gase, in an attempt to show his players he meant business, decided before the game to bench starting cornerback Byron Maxwell. Now, if you guys remember last week, he made the public comment that anyone on his team who didn't want to do things, quote unquote, the right way, wouldn't get to play. And that blew up in his face as the fill-in that he put in for Byron Maxwell, Tony Lippett, was abused by A.J. Green all night to the tune of 10 catches, 173 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown was hilarious. They throw A.J. Green a screen pass. He catches it. The cornerback dives at A.J. Green's legs and somehow misses, and A.J. Green walks untouched the rest of the way into the end zone. I mean, that... And then you've got defensive ends Mario Williams and Cameron Wake. They've only combined for two sacks on the season so far through four games. And they're not playing well in the run game either. In a recent article, Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald writes that Mario Williams is on pace for a career low in sacks. 
and that his play is severely lacking outside of the pass rushing department. You know what isn't lacking? His bank account. (laughs) He also points out that all signs and analytics are indicating that his lack of production may actually become the new norm, and it's not an anomaly. And finally, there's just this gem of a quote from Williams himself. The reporters from the paper asked him about his lack of production, and this is what he had to say. And again, I'm quoting Mario Williams. If we can get guys to hold the ball a little longer, you know, you know, the ball's coming out pretty quickly. That's spoken like a true asshole. I mean, that's a guy who's trying to pawn off the fact that he's just, he's sucking up the field right now. He's awful. And he's blaming it on his teammates. What a, what a dick. I'm sorry, but if you notice, do you see any more of that now that he's gone? Everyone who talked about how Mario Williams wasn't the problem and that Rex Ryan was stupid for asking him to do things he didn't want to, you don't hear any of that anymore. No, because Mario Williams obviously didn't buy into what Rex was selling. And it doesn't sound like he's buying in down there either. At the end of the day, I don't know where Mario Williams is going to buy in, but if he doesn't pick it up, it might not be in Miami either. They're a team with a lot of questions right now at one and three, and they got to find answers quickly. I mean, they're going up against the Titans at home this week, which could help them rebound. And then, speaking of one and three, it's the New York Jets. They dropped to one and three on the season, losing 27 to 17 to the Seahawks at home. Hey, guess what? How's it taste, motherfucker? Seagram's update. It's magical. It's laughing at me. I wish I could brush my teeth with it. I want to put my dick in it. I want it to put its dick in me. I wish it were winter. We could make it into ice blocks and skate on it. Mm. And then melt it in the springtime and drink it. If you like pina coladas, getting caught in the rain. If you're not into yoga. I got it. Fitzpatrick. What was he? 23, 41, 261. <laughs> there we go. So for those of you who aren't familiar... 115 yards shy. For those of you who aren't familiar, I made a bet with my producer two weeks well, two weeks ago when Ryan Fitzpatrick torched the Bills defense that under no circumstances would he ever again in his career, ever again in his career, throw three hundred more than 374 yards. So now if I'm if at any point this season he does it, I have to drink a six-pack of Seagram's of my producer's choosing. And so far, it looks like I am on the, I, I'm just on the winning path right here. Ryan Fitzpatrick went on this weekend to continue his interception parade with three turnovers and now has a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 4-10 to 10 for the season. His quarterback rating is 57.6. Their secondary continues to give up big plays. And Todd Bowles, their coach, flat out stated that if they can't fix these busted coverages that they're, that they're suffering, they're going to have to make personnel changes in the secondary. He is now the second AFC's head coach next to Adam Gase to make threats of changing personnel to try and fix their team's issues. I mean, for all of you guys out there who were down on the bills after our loss to the Jets, doesn't the grass seem a lot greener where we're sitting right now? Yeah, it does. Their fans appear to be blaming a lot of this on the apparent regression of Kelvin Pryor. Now, for those of you who don't know, he was their first-round pick at safety. And he's a player a few years ago, and he's a player I've never been high on on his coverage skills. Yes, he's like a small, in-the-box linebacker, but they're trying to play him in a role he doesn't fit. And that's why game after game, you see him getting exposed. And yet, they don't move him. They shuffle everyone in front of him, which I think is just a coaching mistake. Given their lack of aptitude in the passing game in their three losses and the fact that their secondary is getting worse as the season progresses instead of getting better, 
they're kind of like the Dolphins. They're coming to a crossroads here pretty quickly. They've got a matchup against the Steelers this week, which is then followed by the Cardinals and the Ravens. If they can't figure their stuff out, it, it could go downhill pretty quickly. And that brings us to our Week 5 preview. The Buffalo Bills in Los Angeles to take on the L.A. Rams at the Coliseum. Now, for any of our Bills fans who might be thinking of attending the game, please be certain to bring your Kevlar vest. Yes. We don't pepper spray. We don't want. We don't want you to get stabbed or murdered. <laughs> but you know what? We. I do want anybody going to the game this week. I want everybody to videotape any kind of activity they see because I think this so far this year, LA is rivaling Buffalo on Deadspin. Oh, it's crazy. It, it's, it, it's crazy how ugly things have gotten there in the stands. And I'll tell you, for, for the stadium experience, all, all I've ever heard is negative things. And then, I mean, Deadspin, you're not kidding. They've got articles everywhere about what a poor time it is at the Coliseum. You're talking about they run out of concessions at halftime. There's no shade. At one point, someone even wrote into Deadspin to show them a picture of the fact that whatever paint they used on the bleachers got so hot that it started melting to the person's clothes and skin. <laughs> what the hell is going on out there in L.A.? Oh, it sounds like they need a new stadium. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, the Rams, as a football team, are flying high after winning three straight games, including a pair against last year's NFC West playoff teams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals. The, now, the Bills, they haven't hit a three-game winning streak since 2011 but are themselves coming off two wins against former playoff teams. At first glance, it's easy to see why the Rams have been called the NFC Buffalo Bills. You know, they've got years of mediocre seasons, and yet they've always been a good team, at least from a defensive standpoint. You know, they've always had a very tough defense, a sound running game, haven't had a quarterback. Not since Bulger. Not since Bulger. I mean, you're talking early 2000s for that. So... I can see where the comparisons East, you know, East Coast and West Coast bills get drawn here. It's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top because both teams need this to stay in contention. So, as I said before, this is happening at the Coliseum in Los Angeles, California. The weather, I'm assuming it's going to be hot. I checked the weather report and it just said sunny for the entire week. I'm assuming it'll be sunny in about 180 degrees. Yeah, that seems about right. That's hyperbole, but... You get the drift. Who's officiating? Uh, they haven't announced it yet. We're doing this a day earlier than we usually do, folks. So unfortunately, some of the normal information that I would give out isn't available right now. I apologize for that. But on offense, who are who are the Los Angeles Rams? Okay, first and foremost, everybody knows who Todd Gurley is, right? He's a household name in the NFL. You know, anyone who even just casually follows the NFL, if you've ever played a day of you know FanDuel or DraftKings fantasy football, you know who Todd Gurley is. Or if you drafted him second overall in a podcast league and are currently 4-0 in first place. God, I hate you. Yours truly. So the funny thing is is that this year he's, he's having a, I don't know if it's a sophomore slump, I don't know what you call it. But so far this season, Todd Gurley hasn't looked like the player who won Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2015. After this week's performance against the Cardinals, 
He was he won the award, the prestigious award of being the first running back in NFL history with 80 plus carries in his team's first four games to have a yards per carry average of less than 2.75 yards. I mean, that's that's awful. I don't even think I'm going to start him this week for fantasy based on how well our defensive lines played. Well, and so that le- so that that makes you ask a question. When you look at the offensive numbers coming out of LA, there might be some merit to the idea that teams have been game planning for him, which is allowing their wide receivers and tight ends to find some success in the passing game because every team is stacking the box against Todd Gurley. Now, given his level of talent, I I, I believe that. You know what I mean? He's clearly not a guy that you want to just let run free through your secondary. But at the same time, in reading recaps from TurfShowTimes.com, which is the SB Nation affiliate for the Los Angeles Rams, there's been multiple accounts made of Gurley simply missing his holes. You know, they're saying he's not playing with his typical anticipation. He's missing blocks that if he followed him, he could be ripping off 7, 8, 10, 15-yard runs. And instead, he's stringing everything out to the sideline and just getting stacked up in the backfield. That's... That's strange. You know, you don't usually see young running backs like that lose their vision and you know their ability to cut on a dime so quickly. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if he's playing through things. All there's over at TurfShowTimes.com, they're speculating on a whole variety of things that could be hampering him. After looking at the numbers, though, even if he is struggling, the stat that jumped off the page to me when I looked at his running charts from each one of their first four games. He gets the majority of his yardage when he's running behind center straight up the middle of opposing defenses. That's also where they've run him the most. He has 88 yards on 32 attempts. So if you figure his his yards per carry average is 2.63, but it increases to 2.75 when he runs behind center, that tells you that he's making some hay in the middle of some of these defenses, at least more so than he is anywhere else on the field. Now, that lends itself to our favor. I mean, we have Marcel Darius coming in. He's fresh. So far, our running game, I mean, our run defense has looked pretty good. I mean, LeGarrette Blount ran wild all over Houston. And we held him in check pretty much the entire day. I thought that was because of our linebackers. Oh, and that was because of our linebackers. But I also think the play of our defensive line, they're not letting offensive linemen get to the second level. They're, they're keeping our linebackers clean, which is why you've got a guy like Zach Brown who's leading the NFL in tackles right now because he's seeing clear lanes to the ball carriers every time they run the ball. I mean, that just speaks to how well our D-line is playing. I think that with Todd Gurley struggling like this, that's going to be one of the biggest matchups in this game to watch. Todd Gurley against our front seven. You know, If he can't make hay, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because they've got a quarterback in Case Keenum who isn't that good. You know, teams have been game planning to try to stop Gurley. That brings me to my next point. Keenum has picked up his play. Okay, He was shut out by the 49ers week one, held to nothing but field goals in week two against the Seahawks. Now, some of that credit belongs to his offensive line for just being awful the first two weeks. But they're finally giving him time now. If you watch the last two games, I broke down a lot of the film. They're giving him time to throw the ball. And then some of it just has to do with the quality of the defenses that he's been playing. I mean, I'm not going to go out and say that the 49ers defense is anything special, but the Seahawks are absolutely a good defensive team. I mean, would you argue that with me? No. They, I mean, they were one of the better defenses in 13. They were, uh, they were good in the last couple of years. They still got Sherman and Chancellor and Bennett. 
So over the last two weeks, games that they've won, Case Keenum's averaged 228 yards passing. He's got three touchdowns and only one interception. The Bills are going to absolutely have to continue their track record of being disruptive and physical in the secondary. That's where it's going to come from. To stop their passing attack, usually you say, okay, well, our pass rush has to work. This game, I don't think that's the case. Case Keenum doesn't have a great arm. I'd say he's even less likely to throw a deep ball than Ryan Fitzpatrick. But he's proven that he can be accurate on short passes, which could be the antidote to any pass rush a defensive coordinator might cook up. And that brings me to my final point on their offense, their short passing game. You take a look at the Rams' stats for the last four weeks. The thing that stuck out to me like a sore thumb is the lack of deep passing they do. Through four games, they've had 121 pass attempts as a team. But only 15 of those passes, which is good for 12%, have been for more than 20 yards. They are, they are the epitome at this point of a dink and dunk offense. You know, they've got a guy, they've got guys like Kenny Britt. They've got guys like Tavon Austin. What they're looking for is they're looking for yards after the catch. That has become the focus of their passing game. So at this point, I expect based on that, I mean, I expect to see Rex do a lot of what he's done against Arizona, a lot of what he did against New England, where he's deploying extra safeties and extra cornerbacks in the box instead of putting legitimate on the line of scrimmage pass rushers. Because in those cases, he was able to take better quarterbacks than Case Keenum and confuse them enough to buy the pass rush time to get home. I think that in and of itself, the play of our secondary, is going to be huge for shutting down their offense. You know, we've, got the, we've got the size on the outside. They don't, they, they've got Tavon Austin, who isn't, he's a fast guy. He's not, he can be a game-breaking wide receiver if you let him be. But I also think that we have so much cornerback talent and we've got enough talent at safety that we can flood the box with our secondary and keep those guys from getting loose enough to hurt us. I feel like Tavon Austin also might be a threat in the return game if he's still returning kicks. That's true. So that's another thing for Colton Schmidt to do is to kick it to the sidelines. Yeah, and special teams, we're definitely going to want to keep the ball out of Tavon Austin's hands. I expect to see a lot of directional punting a lot of punting out of bounds, a lot of trying to kick the ball away from Tavon Austin because he can be dangerous in those situations. And then we're going to flip this around on the defensive side of the ball. The Los Angeles Rams, they've made a name for themselves for having, a poor, for, for despite their poor records over the last few years, their defense has been one of the better defenses in football. Aaron it all, Donald. It all starts up front. I mean, their offense has been middling at best, but their defense... I mean, it's incredible, especially Aaron Donald. You know, the Bills' offensive line is absolutely going to have their hands full this week. The DL is one of their biggest assets. They've got Aaron Donald, Willie Hayes. You know, those guys can, two guys can get together and bring pressure from pretty much anywhere. Their play has been so good that Chris Long, who by and large is considered in NFL circles to be a very good defensive end. He's had injury issues. He's had some production issues. At one point last season, he was only playing part-time as just a pass rusher. Aaron Donald and Willie Hayes have made him expendable. You know, It's because of them and them stepping their games up that Chris Long isn't on their team anymore. And that's scary when you think about it. This right there is where the battle that we have to win. We cannot let their defensive line dictate the, the pace of our offense. Because if they do, I foresee a lot of what happened to us in the Ravens game. 
You know, we couldn't get our running game established at all in that Ravens game. And Tyrod really struggled to get a passing game going because they keyed on that. You know, they kept him in the pocket and made him make throws. We have to find a way to make plays around the fact that their defensive linemen and their you know, D tackles, D ends, those four guys are, you know, they'll probably rotate in another two or three. All of them are capable of producing against our offensive line. Our offensive line is to find a way to impose their will there. See, I'd be, if I was the Bills, just because they're what they're, they do in the defensive line, I figured it's going to be a challenge to, to run on them. So I, I would. I'd want to know what their secondary is like if, if it's possible to throw on them, even though we're not going to have Sammy Watkins. Well, I'm glad you asked because that's the, ne- that's the next thing on my checklist here. They have good pass coverage. Okay, Their secondary is respectable. Their defense is, I'd say, a slightly faster playing version of the Ravens' defense. They've got a good group of secondary players. Guys, you know, NFL veterans, Mark Barron, you know, former first-round bust, who was traded of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They traded him to St. Louis, and he's been playing very well ever since. What year was he drafted? Uh, I can't remember. I think think it was the E.J. Manuel draft. Is that 11? Maybe. 11 or 12? Maybe. I think he was somebody that I wanted. So they've also got a guy named E.J. EJ Gaines, who at one point wasn't in their starting lineup, but then their starters were struggling through the first two weeks. They plugged in this E.J. Gaines character, and he has been, by all accounts, solid for them. You know, kind of like how, you know, I don't want to say it, but kind of like a Logan Ryan to Malcolm Butler for the Patriots. You know, they already know that Tremaine Johnson is their number one cornerback, and they just happened to find this E.J. Gaines guy, and now he's playing very well for them. And Tremaine Johnson, if you all remember, Johnson played so well last year that the Rams were comfortable letting former standout cornerback Janoris Jenkins walk in free agency. You know, the guy played lights out for years for them, but they liked Johnson more, and he had fewer off-the-field issues, so they let Jenkins go. And then they've got Alec Ogletree. Now, that's a linebacker that I wanted the year that we drafted E.J. Manuel. He is a tree, kind of like C.J. Mosley from the Ravens. He's a true standout three-down linebacker. He can cover with speed. He can play the run game well. He can pretty much do anything you need him to do. He can rush the passer if you let him. He, I mean, I mean, they have the ability, you know, to make life very difficult for us on defense. Combined with, you know, you take that secondary and you combine it with the talent that they have on that defensive line. Their corners have an average height of about six feet. And without any big wide receivers, I mean, Sammy was the biggest wide receiver we had. And without him, we might struggle against you know any kind of press defense that they might bring at us in an attempt to slow down Tyrod enough for our pass rush to get after him. Or their pass rush to get after Tyrod. I mean, what I expect to see from them, they're going to use, they're going to play press on the outside. You know, I, I would be shocked if I don't see it. And then they're going to use Mark Barron and Alec Ogletree to play shallow zones inside the box and just wait for Tyrod to try to do those little dump-offs to the running backs or try to get a, you know, this week he used a lot of slants. They're going to try to do everything they can to take that away. Because they, I think in their minds, they think that their pass rush can keep us from passing deep. And we don't have any big wide receivers who can win jump balls like that. What about, did we, did we sign Justin Hunter? We signed Justin Hunter, but he has a very limited knowledge of our playbook at this point. So he's not I ready. Be, I would be shocked. I, I think they'll have him active. I don't know if he'll see any significant snaps on offense. I mean, the book on Justin Hunter, it, 
for any Buffalo Bills fans out there who don't know, we signed Justin Hunter, six foot four wide receiver, formerly a second round pick of the Tennessee Titans. The book on Justin Hunter is that while he's a big guy and he can win jump balls, he's a lazy pass. He's a lazy, lazy run blocker. Is what I'm trying to say. He he's he doesn't commit to run blocking the way a guy his size should. You know, if you're six foot four and over two hundred pounds, you should be out there shoving guys around. The fact that he's not, that's a problem, especially in the type of offense that we run. The James Hardy kind of quality. Oh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to temper my expectations for James Hardy, and I honestly think that their defense has the personnel over there on the Rams to give us some fits this weekend. So the keys to victory. First one, establish a running game early. I mean, that's going to be the theme for the rest of our year, guys. Considering how good the Rams' defensive line is at pass rushing, we've got to get positive yardage on first and second down so that Tyrod isn't looking at third and seven, third and six, third and nine. So am I wrong as a as somebody who doesn't really know X's and O's? So if they send us a lot of blitzing, would you think the Buffalo Bills would try to maybe run some draw plays? Oh, I absolutely think. I mean, we did it against the Patriots. We ran. I said it last week that it was going to take tra- a lot of good draws, some trap blocking, and they did that with a lot of success this weekend against the Patriots. This weekend, I honestly believe that they think that their defensive line is so good that they don't have to blitz. I mean, that's what the Ravens did. The Ravens blitzed, I think, one out of every five or six defensive plays, if that. They didn't, but they, they simulated pressure, but then they would drop everyone off to go play a zone, and it was just too much. Tyrod couldn't figure it out. He had a hard time finding, even though he had open receivers, he had a hard time finding them. So I honestly expect them to play us like that. So we have to find a way to get the ball moving on the ground early on in the game and early on in you know, your first down, your second down. Because if they can just pin their ears back and come after Tyrod, it's going to be a long day for us. Second key is obviously keep, keep Todd Gurley in check. I keep misspeaking, guys. I don't know what's happened. I'm all rubber-lipped over here. The Rams are going to do everything they can. I mean, you read the media over there. You, you, you read anything that's coming out of their camp. The Rams are committed to getting Todd Gurley going. They're going to continue feeding him the rock and trying to draw plays that get him out in open space against much smaller cornerbacks where he can make a lot of yards on the edges of defenses. You know, it shocks me that they've been running him up the middle of the field so often when you figure the the best thing to do when you have a big physical running back like that, think about Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch's, some of his best runs came when he got off tackle and the only person who could bring him down was a safety or a cornerback. And he would hammer those guys. Gurley runs with a little more finesse, but he's in that same mold of a power running back. I was going to say, I believe that pitch out against the Saints in the playoffs mm-hmm, was, it was a pitch out. Mm-hmm. And he just got to the edge and just straight up diesel defensive backs. So what I expect to see is them to just pull out all of the stops possible because they know we have a good secondary. They're going to do everything they can to get him going, and it's on our front seven to make sure that doesn't happen. And then the last key to victory is to stop their short passing game. Now, as I said it before, they've thrived off short passes and then that generate yards after the catch in order to keep their drives alive. That's worked for them so far, but I think we have one of the best secondaries they've faced so far this season. And we absolutely have the personnel to be a matchup nightmare for them. I mean, if you think about it, we have Stephon Gilmore. He's going to match up against Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt's a big receiver. 
you know, you can't let him get downfield with speed on you because they he can burn you. But I suspect that Stephon Gilmore's up to the task of keeping him in check. You put Ron Darby on Tavon Austin, Kevon Seymour. You've got Nikel Roby, if it comes down to it, in order to back up. You've got safeties that we can deploy in, in shallow zones in the box to take away those easy slant routes. I think that our secondary is very well equipped to shutting down that short passing game, but we're going to have to do it. You know, we got to go out there and do that because if we can do that and freeze Case Keenum in the pocket, our defensive line and pass rush should have no problem getting there. Now, guys, Chris, so this is the, this is the part of the uh, show where typically we like to spotlight an out-of-town Bills backers bar. Now, Chris has a story for us as he was in Atlanta this, this past weekend and he was at the Bills Backers Bar of Atlanta where he used to frequent when he lived there. Chris, why don't you tell me about what it was like there? It was depressing. Is that a fact? Very depressing. I remember that bar being consistently filled to where if you didn't show up at noon... You were watching outside on the patio. And I I made it a point to get there at noon to have a seat in the main area where they watch the game. And there were empty tables when the game started. Really? Wait, just empty? Just, Like yeah. ghost town? Ghost town. And it's the Patriots. <sighs> so midway through the second half... Um, one of the people on their committee, Alex DelPazzo, he had just got back in town from a wedding in North Carolina, and he came and he sat down next to me because, uh, you know, he's he's been there for years, even when I went there. This was like five years ago. And he was telling me, you know what, we added a, a OTP bar. And for the people that don't live in Atlanta, OTP stands for outside the perimeter. You have Interstate 285, which is seven lanes each way, and it goes around the outer perimeter of the city of Atlanta. So now they have a bar inside the perimeter, ITP, the one I went to, Whitehall Tavern, and then they have one tavern at Medlock where other people go to. So that's why it was just so dead, is that they split everything into two bars, which if I was still involved in the committee, I would have I immediately tried to veto that because you don't need two bars for Atlanta. Unless it's like something like New York City and you can get two bars directly next to each other. It was a horrible experience and you know, I saw people there that I that I hadn't seen in five years and those were the people that I didn't like. <laughs> so it sounds like all in all it was a pretty rough day. Yeah, I mean there outside were, of the there was Patriots one biting or, it one huge. Or maybe two or three people that that showed up that I remembered that I like and you know it was Fun, watch the game. What do you think the total head count was? Jesus. Um, I would probably say like 50 to 75. Okay. The whole bar was, it was like full, but if you showed up in like the, during the first quarter, you wouldn't have a problem getting a table. Now you see guys, that's, that right there, that story right there is the reason why we're doing this. Okay. Nothing. Obviously, if you've been listening, if you're still listening to this podcast and you heard what I had to say earlier, being a fan of this football team, I don't know why. Call it a call it a mental illness. I don't know what you want to call it. You know, a passion, a love, just lunacy. I love this team. And I love being a fan of this team. And so 
it hurts to know that there's there's groups of Bills fans out there that used to get together and used to have these times, and yet they're not connecting the way they used to anymore. I want to bring that, you know what I mean? I want to do what I can to kind of bring that back. And if using the podcast as a, as a conduit to try to support that, you know, if that works, then so be it. I'll, I'll continue working at it. And the Bills are playing in Atlanta <clears throat> next season. So Drew and I are working, going to work on going to that game as long as the schedule checks out. And that brings us to this week's spotlight, the L.A. Bills backers of Santa Monica. Now, this is a true comeback story if I've ever heard one. And it, you know, it's just a great story of Bills fans rebounding, okay? The Bills backers of Santa Monica, they've been around since the late 1980s. And their history reads like an episode of Bar Rescue. You know, they, they were founded by radio personality John Mamoser and writer Pete Rosen who are true Buffalo transplants to the Santa Monica area of California. They also now work with Matt Christ, who's a Rochester native, and Kurt Graves from Wellsville, New York, to run this you know, now thriving group. During the Super Bowl area, the group had anywhere from 700 to 800 members, and they'd all meet in Burbank, California. By the 2000s, and you know, once the drought kind of set in, the group fell to about 20 to 30 active members. Everyone just, you know, they'd rather stay home than... Go to a bar and watch the Bills get their heads kicked in again. In 2004, the Bills drafted J.P. Lawsman. His parents immediately got on the Buffalo Bills bandwagon and started their own following of about 50 people who would get together to watch the games. Kurt Graves caught wind of this and started hanging out with them. They finally, between them and the Lawsman group, found a bar that agreed to you know, put Canadian beer and chicken wings on the menu. And that's what sparked the revival of the uh, Santa Monica Bills backers. Now, today, they've got an active following of over 1,000 Bills fans. And about half of them come out every single, every single Sunday for game day activities. The group meets at a bar known as Busby's, located at 3110 Santa Monica Boulevard in Santa Monica, California. The bar features Labatt Blue on tap and a free chicken wing buffet at halftime. No, I'm sorry. If you can't get down with that, I don't even care if you, if you don't like the Bills. You're telling me you don't want to go hang out at a place that's... BBA had... I had I got it twice, but it was like eight wings for eight bucks on a Sunday. I did that twice. Before the game and during the game. Well, I'll tell you, this group, the Bills and the Akers out there of Santa Monica, they have an absolutely packed week of activities lined up for the upcoming game this weekend against the Rams. They've got parties at this bar, Busby's, all week. They've got a concert on Saturday night. You know, there's, there's going to be bands, there's going to be booze, there's going to be music. And then to cap it off, they're going to throw a monster tailgate party featuring attendance by former Bills players Andre Reed, Marcellus Wiley, and a bunch of others who you know, just frequent the California area. You guys can all go and get more information on this event by checking out www.billsrams.com. I'm going to toss a link to their site in the description of our podcast. If anybody out there in California who happens to be listening to this, if you've got family out of town who want to go attend, you know, let them know about it. You know, it sounds like a great... I would rather have our fans, instead of sitting at home watching the football game, getting out and just, I don't know, getting communal, hanging out with your fellow Bills fans, because that's what this is all about, you know? If you're in the area, it sounds like this is going to be the place to be, so go check it out, and if any of you get any pictures, why don't you... So let us know how it is. All right? Now, Chris, for everyone who's not going to the uh, tailgate at the uh, Santa Monica Bills backers, where can they find the game? You're going to have to go to 506sports.com tomorrow, Wednesday, is when they release the coverage map to see if the game's in your area. 
I have no idea who's calling the game, but I do know that it will be on CBS four four twenty five. So there is a chance that Spiro Ditas could call the game. We hope. <laughs> We're hoping for Spiro. I don't know why I like Spiro Ditas. Just solely on his name. We've his, been his over this. You great. love his name. That's the only reason why it just rolls off like the him. tongue so nicely. Spiro Ditas. The guy never knows what the hell he's talking about. But man, is it fun to listen to him and to just say his name. All right, guys. So we got to get out of here. A big shout out to the uh, Bills backers of Santa Monica. And thanks to Christian Simonelli for stopping by tonight and helping us walk again, through that, <laughs> walking through that massacre of the New England Patriots. We got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.